coming up on today's episode of Build. But I think, you know, what is going to separate the good companies from the great companies are basically companies which can do all the three pillars really, really well. PLG, Enterprise Outbound Motion, and Brand. Today on Build, we're talking all things brand marketing. It's a strategy that's often overlooked or dismissed by B2B marketers. Sure, marketers will buy the obligatory billboard on the 101 in San Francisco. And yes, a lot of overfunded companies bought Super Bowl ads in 2021. But beyond that, it doesn't get a lot of love as a viable addition to your marketing mix as a B2B SaaS company. Our guest today on Build is Raj Sakar, longtime marketing leader with tours of duty at Amazon, Google, Atlassian, and most recently as CMO of 1Password. He doesn't just advocate for brand, he's actually executed it with massive success at big scale. Raj walks us through his philosophy on brand marketing, from why it's valuable, to how to define your brand identity, to ultimately which channels to leverage in order to amplify your brand. All that and more on today's episode of Build. So let's dive in with Raj Sakar. First off, let's level set on what we mean by brand marketing. So what exactly is brand marketing and why is it valuable? So the way I think about brand marketing is it's almost like a personality of your company or your personality of your product. Think about every single interaction you're having with the customer. That's what defines your brand personality. Uh, let me ask you a very specific example, right? We we'll all use products like Lyft and Uber for ride sharing, right? They're almost the same product. Almost gives you, uh, you know, from a feature perspective, it's almost exactly the same. But the perceptions of the brand are so different from each other, right? Uh, I remember the few years back, uh, some of my friends and coworkers refused to, you know, use Uber. <laughs> they all used Lyft. It's not the product was bad, but it was the brand perception. Similarly, if you think about a very specific example for B2B, Slack and HipChat, right? HipChat was pretty well known among the tech community, right? So the perception became that this is a messaging solution for uh, for developers. Whereas Slack, early on, basically figured it out that the way to positioning Slack was for all kinds of teams, right? So, you know, the brand perception makes a lot of difference uh, nowadays and more and more as CMOs, even PLG CMOs are realizing the importance of brand. Yeah, my, my favorite example is um, is always MailChimp. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different these days now that it's owned by Intuit, but you know, MailChimp is it's a commodity product. You know, there's a lot of email marketing solutions out there, uh, and yes, it's a good product, and yes, it's you know kind of been around for a while and it's built a, a great following, but they also created a brand, you know? And right. um, I mean, me, I've never like signed up for, I'm not a marketer, I don't use MailChimp, but I love their branding so much. There was a, actually a few years ago, they had this campaign where, you know, their mascot, um, the, you know, the chimp, um, Freddie, right. uh, they yeah. made action figures. 
out of Freddy and all these different kinds and stuff. And so, um, and you could get one for free if you like sort of entered a competition. And like, I got one and it's like this thing that I love that sits on my desk is this little action figure of Freddy from MailChimp. And I love it, um, even though I'm not a customer, right? So like, that's a great example of brand done well to stand out in sort of a, a sea of vendors that kind of do the same thing, but to really sort of speak to somebody and have a personality in a really major way. So yeah, there's some great examples out there, both in consumer as well as in B2B. So why is brand so valuable and, and why, why should we you know, dive deep into it? You know, the way B2B marketing we used to do 20 years back and the way we do now has the ch is changing. And the reason it's changing is if you think about the B2B buyers 20 years ago and the B2B buyers now are very different from each other. Like this is the Facebook generation. This is the, you know, the smartphone generation. Uh, their expectation is, uh, you know, for, for a company to be not like a robot but be a human, right? So, uh, you know, kind of it reflects in your brand to some extent, like how you're having a conversation with your customer. Nowadays it is becoming, that's why it, I think it is becoming more and more important, more and more B2B companies are investing in brand. Drive on, <laughs> drive on, like in San Francisco, for example, you're surrounded by billboards everywhere. Yeah, just take a trip down 101. <laughs> You'll see a lot of brand advertising. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'll see a brand, because everyone realizes that, you know, brand is becoming more and more important. And it's surprising that a lot of conversation uh, around PLG is obviously growth marketing and growth hacking, quote unquote, right? A lot of conversation is how do you build an enterprise outbound motion on top of a PLG motion, but I think you know what is going to separate the you know from the good companies from the great companies are basically companies which can do all the three pillars really really well: PLG, enterprise outbound motion, and brand. You know, on why brand and why is it impactful? What kind of impact can it have? You know, it can differentiate you. You know, if you have a less differentiated product because there's a lot of sort of similar products in the market, you can be different through brand. People feel differently about you, even if, you know, the functionality is fairly similar. So there's a differentiating element uh, to brand and it can certainly sort of uh, create that opportunity. But I, but I think also there's a scalability opportunity uh, around your marketing. At some point, you know, you just can't buy more of the same keyword, right? <laughs> like you're already getting all of that. Um, and at some point, like all your demand generation, it's good, you always have to have that, but you know, it doesn't scale infinitely. But brand is something, you know, you can also waste a lot of money doing it, but if you do it right, <laughs> uh, it's sort of infinitely scalable. I mean, you know, look at any of the big brands that people know sort of across the globe, Nike, Coca-Cola, all that kind of stuff. Like it can scale in a major way, obviously. Especially, you know, after you hit like 1500 million ARR, I think you need to start consciously thinking about spending on brand. And the reason is if your top of funnel is not growing, right? because it's a funnel in the end, right? You're touching some portion like through brand campaigns, they're coming down the funnel, a B2B buyer doesn't buy a product instantly, right? It's a journey. So if you're not investing on top of funnel, what's gonna happen is your CAC for bottom of funnel is gonna go up over time. So you have to figure it out like, how much you should spend on top of funnel versus how much you should spend on bottom of, bottom of funnel. Like 30, 70, some say 30, 70, some say 50, 50, but you have to experiment constantly. Because remember, with your brand campaigns, you can create a huge retargeting pool as well, in the, you know, in the long run. So I've seen companies where they hit the ceiling after a certain point 
if they are not spending on brand. So you started to touch on it there. I mean, the you know the next question I kind of wanted to get into is, um, okay, so when do you do this? Is this something that like, you know, post series A, you're like instantly starting to do brand stuff? Is it sort of later on? You, you kind of mentioned that it happens, you know, more, you know, later once you're at scale, sort of a hundred million of ARR. So like, yeah, walk me through that. Walk us through that a little bit. Like, when do you start thinking about brand? When can brand, you know, be a, a helpful thing to add to your marketing mix? When you're starting the company, when you're founding, you, you need a website. Right? And when you're building the website, you're thinking about, okay, what color should I choose, right? What should be the style of my copy? So you're already kind of subconsciously making some calls around the brand from early on in your journey. And then if you are a PLG company, uh, you know, your product touches and product experiences is kind of creating the brand personality as well. So even though you're not consciously thinking about it, you have already started on the brand journey as soon as you launch a you know, website and a product. Now, I usually tell the founders, like once they hit like 10 million AR, like one to 10 million ARR, they should start consciously thinking about the brand to some extent. And I'm not saying go and spend tons of advertising dollars on brand uh, initially, it's more about like the unpaid channels. Think about what you can do from you know PR and thought leadership perspective. Think about what you can do you know from an SEO perspective. Think about what you can do from a content perspective. Think about building communities. Uh, so that that one to ten million is when you should probably start thinking about brand consciously, and then fifty million uh, ARR, fifty to hundred million ARR. I would say you're gonna start seeing. When you start seeing that your cost of acquisition on, on your bottom of funnel is going up, you know you need to start spending on top of funnel uh, online, digitally. And online digitally, I think the advantage is, like I said, you can create retargeting pools and things like that, right? So you can justify your online spend to some extent. And then after 100 million ARR, nowadays, like, you just mentioned, if you drive on 101, you see all those billboards everywhere. And the reason is online advertising is getting so crowded, so crowded, it's hard to grab people's attention, right? So a TV ad or, or an out-of-home ad, you have a captive audience to some extent. Like you cannot use ad blockers for billboards, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Can't close your eyes while you're driving down the freeway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So th that's why you see it like nowadays, like kind of out of home is coming back because a lot of people realizes that online you're not getting a lot. Like it's like it's get it's getting uh, kind of getting so crowded that it's hard to grip pe people's attention. Yeah. So the um, so what it sounds like is that you know when you're thinking about when do you do brand, it's not really this kind of binary decision or it's like a switch that you flip. It was off and now it's on. Uh, there's sort of different phases. It has to be defined. So that's kind of like the first motion. Then the next motion is like once the brand's defined, you know some of the things you mentioned like PR and some of those community, some of those things you might do in those earlier sort of phases, scale up phases. Right. That's sort of brand awareness. And then at some point, um, you know, you're going to have reached a certain level of maturity with knowing what your brand is, people being aware of your brand, and then also scale for yourself and just looking at your overall funnel. And that's where you do brand amplification. And that's what, you know, people mean when they say like brand marketing traditionally. That's when you're going to be like, you know, going to the TV channels, the out-of-home channels and those kinds of things. So there's kind of step one, two, three. It's crawl, walk, run versus sort of like I wasn't doing brand yesterday and now I'm doing brand today. 
I like that. Crawl, walk, run. I'm going to use that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so we're going to get into more of the, the details of that. I mean, that's kind of like the high level view, but like obviously understanding the how of how do you do brand is super important. So maybe let's get into that. Like, what does that look like for B2B marketing? And, you know, what does a brand strategy look like for B2B? Yeah, I think I think first and foremost, I think where it begins is what's the mission and the vision of the company. Like defining that early on is going to be super, super important once you go down the path of defining what your brand is going to be. Uh, so, for example, you know, Nike, right? It's like one of those brands very, very well known. Everyone knows Just Do It, right? And the Just Do It mission statement is so powerful because it's not about winning or losing. It's about participation, right? Uh, and it's it resonates so, so well with their, you know, target audience. Uh, I think Google had this uh, uh, mission statement that they want to organize the world's information, right, and make it accessible, right? That mission statement is so powerful, right? It's much easier to define, you know, how, what your brand is going to be once you know, understand, like, what's the mission statement is going to be. And mission statement is not, mission vision is not about, especially when it comes to brand, it's not about speeds and feeds, you know? You're not talking about features, right? <laughs> uh, so once you define the mission and vision, I think the next question becomes like, what's going to be your brand identity, right? How you could identifying your brand attributes. Sometime, if you think about it, some companies have already have kind of over time have built out a value system for themselves. I always think that your external brand attributes and your internal cultural values, they need to match with each other. They can't be completely you know, out of back. So this, this is something that um, I actually have firsthand experience with, and it was totally counterintuitive to me when I first got exposed to it, but it was actually for OpenView. Uh, so a handful of years ago, uh, we hired a branding agency uh, and we wanted to sort of, you know, improve our look and feel and all that kind of uh, stuff and, and graduate to the next level. And the branding agency, you know, again, I kind of went in with this perception of, well, they're going to help us figure out like how to make a cool logo and like get our own font and like it's going to be great and like pick our colors and all that kind of stuff. But their first question was exactly that. It's like, what's your mission? What's your vision? What's your values? And again, it sort of caught me off guard. It's like, why does that matter? It's like, well, brand is not colors. Brand is not font. Brand yes. is, as you're saying, it's an identity. Yes. And so what's the mission? Like, why does everybody come to work? Like, why does this company need to exist? Exist. That's the yeah. starting point of your brand. And that's way more important than like, do you like blue or purple better? 100%. You nailed it. Uh, and then basically, you know, via once you define your mission, you know, your value statement, your values, you basically come up with the brand attributes. And to give you a specific example for one password, for example, some of the brand attributes we came up with is like human, uh, humorous, humble, uh, which was kind of, uh, you know, a testament to the internal culture of the company as well. And then we identified a brand archetype as well. And it's strangely enough, when we were talking about the brand archetype, like the first person which popped on our heads is Ryan Reynolds, because Ryan Reynolds is an, like, he's a Canadian, right? Yep, <laughs> and, just and like he, one password. <laughs> just like one password. And you can think about all those three attributes really map well. So this is the reason we selected like Ryan as kind of a brand ambassador. 
So after you define your brand attribute, then you basically come to what do you call a visual identity and a verbal identity. Verbal identity is not very different from your brand attributes because it's kind of intuitive. Once you define the brand attributes, you know what's your you know written personality or your copy personality. Yeah, you speak that way that's consistent with your identity. Identity, right? And then the sec- the, vi- the visual stuff is the interesting stuff. And this is the thing. But because I was trying to do a, a rebrand uh, during one password, so the work is still going on, I know that. So one of the things I, I told when I was working with this agency, I'm like, show me a website. I will tell you whether it's a tech website or a non-tech website. Because every single tech website you go to, like the brand, the visual identity has either illustrations or stick figures. I think stick figures gave me, like st- stick figures suddenly was the new thing, like every single company, in tech company in Silicon Valley was doing it, which is very interesting. Whereas if you go to a CPG company, for example, their visual identity is so different. And one of the things I was talking about, like, as a visual identity, you need to really stand out. Mailchimp is a great example, right? If you go to any typical enterprise B2B company, everyone uses blue color. Everyone. Like blue is the de facto. Blue is the way to go. <laughs> Nobody yeah. ever got fired for picking blue as your brand color, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so Mailchimp, for example, right? The colors really stand out. Uh, and this is the reason subconsciously you probably you're not thinking about it but subconsciously it's having an impact on you because that's one of the reasons probably you it's like different yeah, yeah it's different it your eye. Out. yeah so the visual identity also is part of that like once once you defined uh you know kind of it because it's a reflection of your brand identity to some extent one of the things you have to remember when you're working on the visual identity that your product ux and your visual identity needs to match with each other they cannot be like your design, internal design systems and your external external design systems, they need to be consistent or it's going to be a really horrible experience for, for a, you know, for a customer. Yeah. Like well, I could imagine, you know, you mentioned one password, like some of the, uh, you know, brand attributes were human and humorous and if, but it's a security product. And so if you get into the security product and then it feels like, you know, super intense and like, this is a knock and like all these types of things, like more of an enterprise cybersecurity platform, it's not going to feel humorous and human. So yeah, like it has to match once you actually get into the experience. 100%. The next thing is if you're talking about companies which have single product, it's very easy, right? Now, if it's a multiple, multi-product company, then the question becomes, hey, do you want to be a house of brand or a branded house? Uh, so just for the uh, audience who are not aware what it means, a house of uh, brand is what usually uh, you know, CPG companies do, right? For example, you don't know Dove. Dove is owned by Unilever, for example, right? But Unilever is the parent company. They don't invest a lot on their parent company brand. They invest a lot on their sub-brands. So that's kind of an example of a house of brand. A branded house is basically what usually the car companies do, right? They invest, you, they invest in, for example, Honda, then you have Honda Civic, Honda Odyssey, right? So that was the debate, like I remember early days in Atlassian because everyone knew Jura. <laughs> no one knew Atlassian. So the debate was, hey, what should we do? Should we invest in the Jura brand or should we invest in the Atlassian brand? And we made a conscious call of, you know, we're gonna go with a branded house. So now if you go and see any product in the Atlassian family, it has Atlassian in front. So it says Atlassian Jura, Atlassian Confluence, you know. Uh, I think Trello is the only one which has, the, you have because it doesn't go because the Trello personality, brand personality, and Atlassian brand personality is very different. But all the other brands is like that. Now Google, for example, has a mixture, right? In, in initial days, every single product 
was basically a branded house uh, with like Google Mail, for example, right? Google Calendar, Google Docs. Google Docs, yeah. And then what they did is they went to a house of brand concept for the brands they want to invest in in the long run. So Android, Chrome, YouTube, they have their own brand identities, for example. So that's the other call if you're a multi-product company, you need to think about that as well. Yeah, no, that's... um. That's really interesting because there's different paths to go down for for a brand and this idea of house of brands or branded house. Yeah, I've never heard it mentioned that way. Um, how do you know which one is best for you? I think if you are a startup, right, branded house makes sense. I mean, then it doesn't matter. Like if you're in an early stage company, you you cannot afford to have like a, a you know multiple brands because you have to invest in those brands, right? Google can afford to do it. Uh, you know, Microsoft can afford to do it. Like Amazon can, like all the big companies, they have, you know, they have a huge brand budget. They can, they can afford to do it, but the startups, they can't. So in early stages, even if you are doing like two or three products, you should both go for branded house because that's what makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think that's really good specific tactical advice to anybody that's listening right now. You know, the name of your company should be the name of your product. Don't make it too hard for yourself, right? Like, I don't use, like, that's usually what you see. But every now and then I still see, you know, young startups, you know, st- still getting traction. It's like, our company is called this and we have two products and they're called this and that. And like, none of them are the same. And it's like, dude, you're making it right. too hard on yourself. Like, you know, make it easy. <laughs> Just pick one name. And think about SEO as well. SEO becomes harder if you have like three different product names. And so. Yeah, even buying your branded keywords, like you got to buy three of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Just a quick break in today's conversation to make sure that you're getting all the latest in PLG content from OpenView. First things first, if you haven't subscribed to Build in your favorite podcast app, make sure you do that now. We drop four episodes per month and subscribing is the best way to stay in the loop. And while you're at it, drop us a rating and review for the show so that others can find it as well. And secondly, did you know that I'm a YouTuber? I put out weekly videos on the latest and greatest in PLG with my show called the PLG 123. Every video is two minutes or less and features VC perspectives from yours truly on the latest in VC, SaaS, and of course, product-led growth. So find me on YouTube by searching Blake Bartlett and make sure to subscribe to my channel so that you don't miss a single video. Okay, now let's dive back into today's conversation. Okay, so that's kind of, you know, how do you do brand? What does brand look like in B2B? What does that journey look like defining it? Okay, you've done that. Now you're getting close to 100 million of ARR and you're like, all right, I want to amplify this. I want to do brand marketing. Um, What are the channels that you should think about there? And how do you measure the impact of brand marketing once you sort of flip that switch? Yeah, so the first, I think that I touched on it. The first thing, the digital channel becomes important, right? Even before you spend out of home, you should start investing in digital channels. And there are various ways you can do it. Uh, You can take over. There's this concept called site takeovers. Like if you go to CNN.com, you'll see something on the top, for example, right? The cool thing about, you know, doing digital is you can easily measure it. Like everything can be, anything can be measured like online, right? So even if like someone sees your ad or sees your video, for example, which is on a third party site, and they come later to your website, you can track them very easily, right? So that's that's way it's powerful. So online channel, there are like lots of ways you can do like top of funnel spend. So you, on, online is where you should start initially. And then 
The next one is basically, I think, at a certain point in time in the near future, you have to start thinking about out of form. You have to th start thinking about streaming. I'm not saying TV, I'm saying streaming. And the reason I'm saying streaming is because streaming nowadays, you can do even specific targeting. So for example, when we did the Ryan Reynolds com commercial, right? We partnered with this agency called MNTN Agency, and what they do is basically you can go and create, just like in Google Ads or Facebook Ads, you can go and create your demographic profile of the customers you want to go after, right? And nowadays, if you notice, if you were, you like, if you're a subscriber of YouTube TV, for example, you have to log in to your account. <laughs> So they know who is specifically actually watching the show. That's yes. why they created all this. They're doing the hard work for marketers to make it <laughs> yeah. all attributable. This is great. Yeah, yeah. So they, now you can say, hey, I want to, you know, target all this specific age group, right? Living in New York, for example. And you can even say, you know, they are they work in the B two B space, for example. You can do all sorts of things nowadays with you know online streaming. And, but the holy grail is obviously Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> you have to do it sometime in the near future, but I don't know how effective it is. I don't know how effective it was for Coinbase. The Coinbase ad was like amazing. If you remember the Super Bowl ad they did, that was incredibly smart. Uh, so, the, the, you know, these are the ways to basically think about, you know, but to, uh, one of the things you have to make sure that you measure it. And there are other ways to measure it as well. Like, Holistically, what you can do, you can hire an agency, for example, and they can measure like how much your, for example, awareness has gone up over time. And you can do even segment specific like SMB, mid-market enterprise, for example. And then there are, other, there are other agencies which measure something called the brand equity. So for example, at uh, one password, we're using this agency called Blue Ocean, basically, which gives us a which basically spewed us a score uh, every month, saying how are we doing from a brand perspective. Got it. So, so the good news is that it's measurable <laughs> because I do think that, you know, and historically it was this way, um, and I think a lot of people still have this perception is that brand is something that is almost impossible to track. You know, how do you track the you know efficacy unless there's a specific you know kind of promo code in a print uh, you know ad that you do. Uh, or sort of in a radio ad or in a TV ad or in a billboard, like how do you track those things? There's not pixels on those things. Um, but through sort of, you know, streaming uh, and then some of these kind of new supporting technologies, you know, agency partners, a lot of this stuff, if not all of it, is much more attributable, much more trackable. And you can actually see the impact of your brand. It's not just sort of like, well, we're going to spend a million dollars and hope for the best. Uh, you can actually see where it went and what it did. I was just talking to a founder, Blake. You cannot imagine the kind of companies like which are getting founded. That company, what they do is they have this entire inventory of bill, billboards online. So you can specifically go and pick the on online like the billboards, see them where they are exactly. They have pictures for it, and you can say, "Hey, I want to buy space on this billboard from this time to this time." And then you can they basically integrate with your internal, you know data systems and they basically tell you how effective your out of home campaigns are you know going so nowadays to your point everything's wonderful yeah and is the out of home stuff is that is that using like geofencing or is is that as attributable as as other brand channels uh I, i'll use a very good example because google in in the initial days when they ran the chrome ads 
they did basically picked a specific location, ran the ads, saw how effective it was, and then made the call of taking it national. So for example, I think they picked Boston initially to do run some experiments and see if it's working or not. But it's easier for B2C companies, it's harder for B2B companies to some extent to do like geo-fencing. But nowadays, there are a lot of interesting ways you can measure. Like I was just talking to another vendor. What they do is basically they track your mobile phones. And based on your mobile activity, like if you come to the website later on, they can tell you like you saw the you know, out-of-home ad and you basically came to the website. And that is based on the out-of-home ad running at a location X, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I like that as another way. Uh, you gave the Google example, but you know, if you're gonna, hey, let's saturate a city and let's see if we get a lot more people signing up in that city. And I agree that like in B2B, it's a little, at least traditional B2B, it's a little bit harder because you know, blast the entire city and hopefully you get all of the CMOs you know, while you're at it. Like, <laughs> that's our only buyer. That's a little bit harder. But with PLG, you know, increasingly, like you're kind of building everyone products. It's like, Calendly can be used by everybody. Zoom can right. be used by everybody as it was in the pandemic. And Slack can be used by you know virtually everybody. 1Password can be used by everybody. Me as a consumer or me as a CISO as well. And so PLG and building these mass market products that serve all audiences actually open up a much bigger brand opportunity for uh, PLG companies and for B2B in general. You are saying my mantra. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in closing, for founders and marketers that are listening right now who want to take action uh, on this advice and they want to take a first step, but they're not yet at that $100 million of ARR, they're not going to sort of buy the Super Bowl ad this upcoming year. Um, what's the first step? Where do they begin? What should they be focused on first? You just need a pen and a pencil. <laughs> no, not pen and pencil. Pen and paper. You need a pen and paper. Just take a pen and paper, sit down, write, think about what's the mission statement. What, what do you want to achieve? Like, what do you want your product to achieve? Like, start there. And then you kind of already know to some extent if you're the founder, like what is the kind of the internal value system of the company? Write down those value system and then go from there. Like define like what you want your personality to be to be like check, like do some testing with like talk to some few customers and then go from there. I don't I don't think you need to invest like millions of dollars to you know start on yeah. your brand journey. You can start on your brand journey very easily. Well, back to that sort of crawl walk run, the first starting point is brand definition. What is my identity? Who am I? Yeah. How do I want to be perceived in the world? And like, yeah, you can get that done day one. So thinking about those different steps and it's again, back to where we started, that it's not this binary switch that like I wasn't doing brand yesterday and now I'm doing brand today. Uh, you can think about it sort of in this progressive thing and you always need to build that foundation and then ensure back to sort of some of the things we were talking about consistency, that from your mission, vision values to your brand voice and brand attributes, to your uh, user experience, to your product marketing, to just the design system that you use for your product, does it all match? Does it all feel consistent? Or is it a little bit of, you know, kind of disjointed? That's a really good place to start. So amazing advice, uh, both for scaled companies as well as younger companies. This has been awesome, Raj. Thank you so much for, for joining us here on the Build Podcast. Thanks for the invitation. 